0: If you've been with us this month, we've been in this series called Dream Home. Just lots of movement, lots of people moving in this area, and everybody's kind of trying to build this dream home. But really what this is just, this idea has just been about being a work in progress. Most of us, we can't go out and just buy the dream home and like the dream closet and everything that we wish. So we we start with what we have, and and it's a work in progress, right? We try to fix up the bathroom, and we change the mirror. It's a little bit of here and there, and really this has just provided us a landscape to talk about our core values of unconditional love and authentic community service, and we talked about that last week, and then this week we'll talk about creativity, so I want to talk about that a little more. Let me ask you a question, a a little bit of a personal question. I'd love for you to kind of raise your hand after this. If if this identifies you, if you've ever been in a place where you've totally felt hopeless at one point in your life, just kind of think back with me. If you've ever felt like you were in a pit of depression, or if you've ever felt lost, like genuinely just lost, in in, in lost in in the mix of life, and ever felt just just really broken, and, and, and now... God has brought you to a place, uh, he's brought you out of that through his grace. He's brought you out of that depression, out of that loneliness, out of that hopelessness. If that is you, could you just like, I've been there before, and like I've experienced God's grace, like, look at that, across this room, that's go- you're a testimony of God's grace. All across this room, you're a testimony of God's grace. And, and most of us could kind of say it like this, I'm not where I want to be, you know, Um, but I'm past the start, and God's brought me a long way, even though I'm not where I want to be. I'm a a work in progress, and that's kind of what this whole discipleship thing is, and and really our core values are really just about how we see disciples being made. Jesus loves people right where they're at. He invites them into community, into the family of God. You're adopted into the family of God to do life with people, that you're not doing it alone. He's called us to serve, that the greatest in his kingdom would be the servant uh, of all. And then this last one seems to kind of catch people off guard, and it's creativity, because really it's not about our creativity, it's about the creativity of God, and we have this kind of saying that goes around, and if you think back in your life, when you were in that place, God looked at that situation, even though you thought you were at the end of it, God looked at, at your life, and he knew he wasn't finished yet, just like an artist that's in the midst of kind of developing and, and, and making the landscape, so with your life, he's not finished yet. And and this whole idea really comes out of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 where Paul says to the church that I'm confident of this I'm I'm so confident about this that he that started the work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's a powerful passage of scripture and and it's just become kind of uh, kind of a calling to who we are called to be as kingdom-minded people. And I think across this room, we want to do kingdom works, things that are for the kingdom of God, but we can't do the kingdom works of God unless we have a kingdom mindset and we see as God sees, not just ready to go with our hands and feet. No, we've got to be able to see as God sees. And and whatever uh, desperate situation you find yourself in, or you've got a family member in a desperate, or a neighbor in, in just a hopeless situation, think back to your own story and then think back to how God views that. God's not finished yet. It's a work in progress. And even if there's just a little bit of faith as small as a mustard seed, God can move a mountain. So wherever you're at today, I just believe that today's going to be an encouraging um, calling for us because I want to look at a passage in Mark chapter 2. And so if you've got your Bible or you want to turn on your app or or whatever you're doing, it'll be up on the screen. But I'm really just going to talk you through the story and kind of set the set the landscape for what's going on. We're in chapter 2 of Mark, and it's very early on in Jesus' ministry. It's, it's kind of cool that we're, let's go ahead and hit Mark now because for the next four weeks as we enter into the Advent season, uh, Mark does not include a birth narrative like Matthew and Luke do, so we won't be looking a whole lot in Mark, we'll be looking a lot in uh, Matthew and Luke as we look at those birth narratives Um, that we see there about the coming of Christ and and his his birth. But here in Mark chapter 2, it's very early on in Jesus' ministry. We're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is what we're going to look at today. In chapter 1, we see healings. Like Jesus has come out of the gate and he's healing people. He's delivering people of demon possession. And then he had just cleansed a leper. And so it's been all about like the physical and you can almost say emotional and mental deliverance and healing that God has brought into people's life but there hasn't been anything um, spiritual like forgiveness of sins hasn't really been brought up until we get to this and Jesus is I think overwhelmed already by the weight of ministry and people gathering around him coming and desiring to be healed. You ever have too many people kind of pulling at you and it just kind of begins to wear you down? So Jesus actually slips aside to go pray and his disciples come after him. He's like, hey, there's a lot of people that want to get healed over here. And he, he, he says, actually, I just came in. I'm ready to go preach, man. I'm a preacher. I'm ready to go preach the, the good news. And so Jesus, they, they enter into to Capernaum. And they're there in Capernaum. And they enter in this, this home. And if you can just kind of imagine a home 2,000 years ago made of clay and, and, some, and some woodwork as well. And just a mixture of materials that would be available in this small community, and Jesus is in the home, and he's ready to preach, and people start coming, like coming by the droves, and the room is so packed, a room much smaller than this. But they were all packed in this tiny little room. And not only was that room packed, but outside was packed. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't even get in. Like, our, our neighbor, a couple houses down, threw, like, a crazy party last night. Like, it was loud. Like, they had, a, like, a full band. And thankfully, they sounded pretty good. But, like, there was, like, the street parking was filled up. There was probably 40 cars outside. I'm like, that, that's a, they're having a party over there. And it was, I can only imagine it was packed in their house or wherever they were doing it on the back patio or something. But they were packed in the house. They were packed around the house. And you just kind of put yourself in this place where if you're claustrophobic or kind of like your personal space, there was no personal space, you know, in, in this room. And, and Jesus um, is here preaching. And if we zoom back, the scriptures begin to zoom back for us and say that there was these four men that came bringing this man who was paralyzed. He was completely paralyzed, could not walk. Um, We don't know if it was just upper or if it was just lower, if it was upper and lower, but he was paralyzed in some way. And they were carrying him on a mat. And so if we're just zooming back, here's this, this house. It's crowded inside. It's crowded around. And here come these guys from a couple of blocks over carrying their paralyzed friend And they show up and they're like, well, now, now, how are we going to get in here? Like, you know, if you're trying to, you ever been at Disney and trying to work your way through crown with one person or working through a stroller, you ever do something like that? It's a nightmare. And so they're just trying to like, how are we going to get our friend in there to see Jesus? We've come to see Jesus. And so one guy's like, I've got a bright idea. Let's throw him on the roof and drop him through the roof. And the guy's are like, what? What do you mean throw him up? How are we going to get him up there? Like, he's heavy. There's four of us carrying. Gonna get th- so I don't know how they got. The scriptures don't really say how, but they got the guy on the roof. So I'm just imagining one, two, three. And like, it's dead weight. Like, guy's paralyzed. You know how when you're carrying someone that's not helping? You know, that's kind of what's going on. So they, they get him onto the roof. They get him onto the roof. And, and they start ripping the roof open. So there's usually like three layers in a home like this. There was, there'd be some wood kind of um, what we think of like trusses, like an, you know, ancient trusses. And then there'd be kind of some thatch work that you'd see maybe, if you can just imagine like um, palmetto bushes or something like that that have been woven together. And then they'd stack like ancient, just imagine like clay tiles that you see on a roof. Imagine that in like ancient form. And they'd cover the home up top with clay. And so these guys are up and they're ripping a hole, and they're going to drop a grown man through here, so we're not talking about, like, branch through the roof. they got to make a huge deal to lower their friend down, and, like, hopefully, like, he doesn't die from the fall that's about to happen. And so I just don't know. I just begin to imagine myself as the owner of the home. Can you do that for a second with me? And like, hate to break up the miracles party, but my deductible's super high. Like, let's... <laughs> We have a door. Like, we'll make some space. We can come through the door. Uh, I, it's a good thing that that wasn't my house. I'd just be like, no, like, we're not going to rip open the roof. But that's what they do. They're just desperate to get their friend to Jesus, and they finally get him down. And Jesus looks over, and Jesus is moved. He's not mad by the mess that's been made. He's moved by these four men and by this paralyzed man that will do Whatever it takes to get to Jesus. I kind of want to explore this idea of the faith in these men. The story is compelling and wild. I think this is one that the disciples 20 years down the road be like, remember that one night when we were all in there and the dude started ripping the roof open? That was crazy. I can just imagine them telling stories about this. Like, that's got to be one that Mark includes in his gospel and it's just such an interesting and intriguing story, but it, it doesn't stop there. They lower the friend down, and scriptures say that Jesus saw their faith. Just kinda, I almost kind of see the word there in like all caps, because that's like their faith. Because every time we see Jesus doing a miracle, it's about the faith of that person. That person reached out and touched the hem of his garment. It's always Jesus is moved by the one, but here somehow he's moved by the communal faith. And just begin to think about this in our setting, that, that, that God would be moved by like, our faith joining together, that there's something powerful about that, and there's something that inspired and moved Jesus, and I pray that we would be inspired and moved, that, that together, like, we, can, we can bring people to Jesus. And so they lower him down, and, and Jesus says, and when he was moved by their faith, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And if I was this paralyzed guy, I believe that there is a, he's a part of the there. Because I think we could run off on this theological rabbit trail that will be empty, which is where the guy was now. His sins have been forgiven by everybody else's faith, but not his own. But the scriptures don't say that, first of all. And so that would be a, a stretch um, and then all of, throughout the scriptures, we see that, that a person's faith is instrumental and foundational and indispensable for one's relationship with God. Faith, in fact, Hebrews eleven six said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. And so I, I think he is among their there. He's a, he's a he believes that Jesus can heal. He's like, hey guys, I need you to take me. Or they're like, hey, do you wanna do this? And he's like, yes, let's do it. So they get in there, Lord. He says your sins are forgiven. And I couldn't help just imagine myself as this paralyzed guy and be like, I didn't come down, my sins forgiven, man. <laughs> I came to be healed like everybody else, like the leper yesterday and the demon-possessed person the day before. I came to be whole physically, and, and Jesus is addressing something that he's like, we'll get to that. That's cool. Your sins are forgiven. And this is huge because he's in the room with a crowd of people, including teachers of the law, and that he, what, they, what Jesus just said was declaring himself something way more than just a healer or a good teacher that they've seen him show himself as since he was a young boy. He's, proved, he's showing, this is the first time, it's a, it's a turning point in Jesus's ministry that he's not just a good like, healer and, and just a good teacher, but he has the ability to forgive sins, that the reason he came to this earth was not just to meet our physical needs and bring healing to our physical, but to, to bridge the gap of the spiritual divide between us and God and it would come through faith in Jesus Christ. And we see this indispensable quality of faith from the time of Abraham in Genesis 15, 16, where Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see it in John three sixteen that who should ever believe will have everlasting life and will not perish. So we see this throughout the scriptures, and here Jesus sees it and says, son, you're your sins are forgiven. And I, I just wonder if he even kind of could grasp what that meant for his life. And that he was one of the first ones that Jesus ever said this to. Your sins are forgiven. What like a place to go down in history. Not only the guy that's going to take up his mat and walk. Spoiler alert. But but the one that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And it was a turning point in Jesus' ministry. But there's these teachers of the law all around. And they, they kind of know, they, they, they know what's going on here and, and they're going to be angry. And Jesus really knows what's going through their mind. And he's been teaching since he was like 11 or 12 years old in the, in the temple. Like, think about that. Like, hey, God, everybody came, 12 year old walks up and like delivers it. And we're trying to ask questions and he's just slaying it. like, we, we're just astounded. Like, that's what, Je- they, they had known Jesus and Jesus knew these teachers of the law. been teaching them and teaching them things for for two decades. And so he knew already what they were going to say. You have some family like that? Like, you know what they're about to say. You know how they're going to react. Jesus knows these teachers of law. The scripture says that, hey, knowing that what they were going to say, he says this, because they were thinking he's blaspheming, because who can forgive sins except God? All right, it's nice you're a healer. It's nice you're a miracle worker. It's nice you're a good teacher. But when you begin to say you're forgiving sins, You're blaspheming. Jesus wasn't blaspheming. He was identifying that he indeed had the power and the ability to forgive sins. And Jesus asked him this question that's super simple, and it's kind of funny to think about. He says, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say take up your mat and walk? And if Jesus asked us that question, like, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because... We don't really know. It's kind of, you can't touch it, you can't see it, than it is to say, take up your mat and walk, because like if that doesn't work out, then you look like a fool. It's easy to say, your sins are for- forgiven. So Jesus asked them this question, and, and as they are processing this and, and bringing this before, he, he looks over to the man, and I think we'll pick up in, in the text here. Your sins are forgiven, or, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. (laughs) Let everybody see what just went down. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying we've never seen anything like this. It wasn't just about the physical. It was was about sins being forgiven and what God wanted to do and bridging the spiritual divide. I think this is a powerful text. I'm inspired by the faith of these men, I just want to bring you three quick, quick thoughts um, before we we wrap up. And I've just kind of told the story, so we're really just getting started here. But first thought here is is that faith works. It it works, and not just and not just a matter of it's going to work out in the end. But no, like faith works. Like there's an outflow of your faith, and for most believers this is this is sad and so we might need to actually go back and look at that word believer if there is no outflow from our faith if there is no activity beyond our proclamation hey i have faith because most of us we treat faith like a voter id card that we will pull it out when necessary but god has called us to lead extraordinary lives of constant faith and like watching god move and and i think we We insult God in in, in a, a number of ways. First, in that we say we believe, but we do nothing to ever prove that we believe. And James said this in James chapter 2. He said, look, they go, to, they go together, like faith and works. Like the, Our actions should flow from a pure form of our faith. That it shouldn't just be some kind of casual, let's come in and get the message today and just kind of get fat for the week spiritually and kind of grab these great nuggets and then go out and never live in the faith, never walk in the faith, never do anything that requires faith. So I think we insult God When we say we believe, yet we'll do nothing that actually resembles that or flows from that. And secondly, we pray prayers that we can answer. Like we'll see someone who who has a need, and James talks about this. Like We can't be people who just say, hey, hope you get warm when we've got five jackets at home. But like, no, I I can answer that prayer. And we just walk away and say, God, I'm praying for them. No, maybe you are the answer to the prayer that you're praying about. And we should be people that are active in our faith. It works. It, there's an outflow. And it's from a pure place of faith. And, it, and I don't know kind of what what's in, in your life right now, whether it's a health situation or if it's a financial or relational situation. But but I think this gets very practical for us. Yes, we're going to keep praying that God will turn our finances around, but I'm also going to take a second job to start <laughs> My faith is going to be in action. I'm going to do what it takes to get myself out of the hole. I'm not just going to wait around for years and years saying God's going to bring a miracle one of these days, but I'm, I'm, I'm passing up opportunities that are right in front of me to dig myself out of it. Maybe it 's in a relational aspect, and we say yes god i 'm praying for a breakthrough in my marriage i 'm praying for a breakthrough in this relationship, yet we 're not doing anything to apply ourselves and open up an opportunity of where there's action involved in saying hey i 'm going to go to this marriage conference and i 'm going to dive in i 'm going to really try to try to pull something so that we can kind of get a breakthrough here it 's faith in in action, there's works that fall. and faith works, and think about the faith the, in action for these guys, like, they were, they worked hard, like, I just imagine, it, people are, like, people are heavy, a grown man is heavy, I don't know if you, when's the last time you picked up a grown man, but heavy, and if you don't think he's heavy, like, walk, like, a block with him, and then all of a sudden, he gets a lot heavier, walk another block, heavier, and then we look up, you want to do what, and get him on the roof, they were exhausted by the end of this night. I can guarantee you. They were glad when he walked. Like, thank God, we don't have to carry him back. <laughs> you know, they 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 worked and they did everything they could. It was in action. I mean, can you imagine just kind of what a fool they would have felt like if they ripped the whole roof and then and then nothing? But he got up and walked, and faith works. The second thing is faith persists. We've gotten pretty soft in our faith. In after we don't get the answer we wanted after the first thing, we're like, oh, guess it's not God's will. And, and there's no persistence, there's no perseverance in our faith. And, and, and I see people in, in other countries that exemplify persistence in their faith far more than we do as Americans. I remember being in Mexico many years ago. And um, I, I was t- leading a team of, of twenty um, young adults, and <clears throat> the U.S. Embassy had put out a, a whatever they do, uh, a memo or something that said basically the cartels are so bad in Mexico right now that if you don't have to travel to Mexico, don't travel to Mexico. There's no reason for you. If there's no like important reason for you to be there on business or or, or something like that, then don't go. And so we had a mission trip planned to Mexico at this time, and of course, like moms and grandmas get a hold of the letter, and we, we we told it, we said it to them, like, hey, we want you to know we're thinking through what this looks like, and so anyway, our trip went to about six people <laughs> um, from 20 to, to six or, or seven, and and we just prayed about it, and I just believe that God was had led us to this point, and we were going to be faithful and walk through this anyway, and so long story short, a co- couple things here that I, I want to get to, but Uh, One, it's like five minutes over the line, we got stopped by the cartel for the first time, and uh, thankfully, like the guy who was with us, they asked for a very, you know, trivial bribe of some sort that we had supplies-wise, and and we gave it to them, and they let us go Uh, about another mile or two. We had just passed the one checkpoint, we got to the next checkpoint, and then it was another bribe offer here, and uh, we woke up the next morning, and there was dead bodies all on this newspaper, of people on the side of the road who had been stopped in the same way we had. But, I mean, it was just a very intense setting that we were in, and people were worried, and the cartel drove by, and their large black SUVs, just like you'd see on a movie, drove by the compound where we were staying every single day, almost just as a matter of intimidation. And they wore these skulls and and kind of had this uh, very demonic kind of logos and presence around them of death, and that's what they were there to bring. And, but I was moved and where I wanted to, to get and tell you the story is, is we had like little worship services where I'd preach and we'd, we'd have um, songs of of worship and praise there on the compound and, and uh, there had been an, an incredible flood in Mexico right before and to the point that there was standing water everywhere and the mosquitoes were like literally something out of the book of Exodus. Like they were... I can't really describe them other than when you walked outside, your body was covered in mosquitoes. And not like little, like mosquito, like large, the largest mosquitoes you've ever They had been growing and just, you know, they were just festering in this standing water all over the place. So that's kind of the, the landscape we were in spiritually and danger-wise, as well as fighting mosquitoes to do ministry. But we just continued to go and reach out. And I remember at one of the services... We saw these girls walking from probably a mile mile or two and and they had their dresses held up here and their heels in one hand walking through the muddy waters to get there to sing and to gather and hear the gospel preached and I was just moved by the persistence that nothing 's going to stop me from being with god 's people and in his house and to hear the gospel preached. I was just so compelled by that and I was reminded of the scripture, beautiful are the feet that carry the good news as they marched through those muddy waters. But in America, we're often, we've got way too many excuses. We've got way too many, what if? What if God doesn't heal our friend when we get there? What if it's too crowded for us to get? We're filled with what ifs, we're filled with excuses and we lack faith. But what if we just exchanged our what ifs With the faith that believing that God can do it. What if God does do it? A different type of what if. There is this lady in South Korea named Cha Sassoon. That sounds like made up, but that's not. Her name is Cha Sassoon. She lived alone in a tiny mountain village of uh, Sinchon in South Korea. She always wanted to learn to drive, but she didn't begin the process of trying to get a license until she was in her 60s. Needless to say, it was literally a difficult road for her. Grandma Sassoon failed the written portion consisting of 40 multiple choice questions 949 times, right? You thought you failed it a few times, this was bad. 949 times, the concept of many questions were confusing to her, and being an elderly woman living in a remote village, finally, on the 950th attempt, she got a passing grade of 60. Like, she didn't ace it. Like, she got a 60. Um, and she moved on to the actual driver's test, in which she only failed it four times. Good job, Grandma Sassoon, um, before getting passing marks. By this time, all of South Korea knew her persistence, and she became a national his, uh, hero for South Korea. She was actually given a Kia Soul, and was a, uh, uh, was um She appeared in a commercial for Kia, which is pretty cool. You know, under 950 times to do it. Here's one you're super familiar with, Abraham Lincoln. He failed at business at age 21, defeated in a legislative race at age 22, failed again at business at age 24, overcame the death of his lover at age 26, had a nervous breakdown at 27, lost a congressional race at 34, and 36, lost a senatorial race at 45, failed to become vice president at 45, lost another senatorial race at 49, finally was elected president of the United States at age 52. 30 years of failure to become one of the most revered presidents of all time. That literally changed the the course of our history in America. And I just think of these stories of persistence and, and and so many times like we're held back. But like, what if it takes 949 times to fail at praying the prayer of healing over your friend? What if it takes 900 or if it takes 30 years to pray for a breakthrough in your relationship or in your career? What if it... What if it does? Like, can we still be faithful? Can we still persist in prayer? Can we still believe? And like Paul said to the church at Philippi, being confident of this, that God that started the work, he's going to complete it. Like, I, I just, I'm inspired by these stories. I'm inspired by the faith of these men, the creativity to think out of the box and be like, God's not finished here. Let's throw him on the roof. Like, just because it's crowded doesn't mean we can't throw him on the roof and see a breakthrough today. I'm compelled by that. Jesus said, Some only come out by prayer and fasting, but sometimes it'll be on the 950th time. Sometimes it'll be on the 12th race that you, you go after and put your name in the ballot for that, that you're elected, and you change the course. You become a national hero. You become a, a landmark in our society, and that's not what it's about, but it's about being faithful and persisting in faith. And lastly, the good news is that faith succeeds that we're not going to come up empty at the end of all things. Even if you fail at 949 times, even if there's just constant loss and you're experiencing that, faith succeeds. And I, I love that there's a happy ending in this story with this man that not only were sins forgiven, but Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. And he gets up and everybody was just looking at it like, no way. Like all of that it it made it worth it. They were blown away. they'd never seen anything like this. Most of us in this room never seen anything like that and I don't know what the miracle that you need in your life, and I don't know what the breakthrough you need in your life and i don't I don't know where your faith journey is at that he, even if you believe that god could, could could do something like that that he could bring freedom, that he could bring a breakthrough in your life but but i I believe in this room like in that room, when they lowered Jesus down, I believe that Jesus and, and God the Father would just look down this room and, and could be moved by our faith this morning that says, look, hey, maybe I'm in a good place, but if there's somebody in this room that, that we need to rally around and lift up and just believe for, for more than what we've ever seen before, that we might walk away in amazement, then I wanna, I wanna be a part of that. I want us to be a, a people of a, a, a prayer and a people of persistent faith it meant the world to that guy. Not only was his life on this earth changed but his eternity was forever transformed. And Jesus has come to to us today even in this moment and saying look I, I know you got physical needs that need to be met but I came that you might know life spiritually first.